Welcome to another episode of the James Inc. Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jesse Lorch, and our interview this month is with Paula Marshall, the CEO of the Bama Companies. She tells her story about being a single mother and learning how to run a business at the same time and lessons we can all take from that. So please enjoy, and don't forget to please subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. Thank you. We are very excited to have Paula Marshall here on the James Inc. Podcast. Paula Marshall is the CEO of the Bama Companies. Thank you, Jesse. Let me go ahead and tell you about my friend Paula Marshall Chapman. Paula grew up in Tulsa and spent her teen years working at the Bama Companies in various occupations. She received her Bachelor's of Science in Business from Oklahoma City University in 1982 and her Ph.D. in Commercial Science also from OCU in 1993. Under her leadership, Bama has expanded to provide a wide variety of frozen desserts and baked goods to fast food chains and casual and family dining restaurants. Bama supports a wide array of community service activities and organizations financially and with volunteer activities. Her companies thrive on her philosophy of commitment to employees and providing other people with opportunities and challenges for life improvement. Now, with that wonderful bio of accomplishments, you would be, maybe you would be surprised to learn that Paula was also a teen mom. And so today we are coming just to talk about her experience of being a teen mom and then rising through the ranks of her family company to become the head woman in charge. Thank you again, Paula, for being with us here this morning and welcome to our little podcast. (laughs) Thank you very much, Alicia. I'm very happy to be here. Paula, can you start out by telling us a little bit about you and your experiences, how you found yourself to be a teen parent in in the late 60s and early 70s here in Tulsa? Yes. Like many um, young people, uh, I didn't always see eye to eye with my parents. My parents didn't always see eye to eye with each other. And my dad happened to have a problem with alcohol. So our home was up and down. There was a lot of walking on eggshells, a lot of don't upset dad. It's he's had a bad day, whatever. And every once in a while that that would his verbal abusiveness would overflow and there would be some physical abuse and that type of thing. So I think I had learned a lot of coping skills. No one in my family at that point in time believed in therapy or anything like that. So I there was really no place to go to talk about it. And a lot of my friends were going through the same thing. So it was just so you just deal with your dad when he when he gets drunk or whatever. And you go on with things. And I think with being a female, what that does is it really mars your ability to see yourself as a person who is worth loving and who is uh, lovable. And I think without being able to get therapy and actually look back at myself and see where I was making my mistakes and what I was looking for and that the boys weren't going to be the answer to all my problems Uh, and just finding a boy who would like me or take me to the prom or whatever. Being a teenager, being in high school is brutal. It's not for the meek of heart, but yet everyone, right? Absolutely. 
it's a really tough time all the way around. There's not a lot of people to, at time, there wasn't a lot of people to talk to about it. We, I, I think I was looking for love in all the wrong places, as that, that the movie and the song, and really just happened to um, think that I was in love with, with the guy that I ended up being with and ended up getting pregnant with. That began another turmoilish time for me in that I married someone who also had a problem with alcohol, who was also had low self-esteem, but was an athlete and real popular. It didn't prevent him from drinking, getting violent with me and verbally abusive and also physically abusive. I went from the frying pan into the fire, Alyssa, and uh, then I found myself in some real trouble because I couldn't, I didn't know how to get out of it. And I was putting myself in harm's way and the child was in harm's way. And that continued until I finally had enough courage to remove myself from that situation. Wow. Paula, so were you the only member of your girl group to get pregnant during that time? Yes. Yes. And there were other girls in my high school that I knew had had parents or moms who had taken them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew about going to New York to get uh, to get abortion. I knew about leaving the state. and I knew I didn't want to do anything that was going to put my life in danger. But I also deep down felt like I wanted to have the baby. And I honestly, to this day, Alicia, I I do not know why. I do not know what came over me. And I decided I needed to go down that path. But it was the best thing I ever did because it it removed me from a situation that was very devastating. And just trying to go along and get rid of it and all that, I just decided to go down a different path and go against my mother's wishes and and really fell in line with more of what my dad was hoping I would do anyway, because he really didn't want to see me go off, go away from home and go off to school and possibly go to Europe and travel and do some things like that. He was really not very excited about that. It caused a real problem between me and my mom for a couple of years. And and then my dad, of course, came to my side and rallied by me. And I, I started working at Bama, and that's when my life really began to get a lot better. I know in your book, Sweetest Pie, Toughest Nails, there's a paragraph where you say you want to keep it. I want to keep this baby. And you said that your voice sounded sure than more sure than you felt that your mom's words had shaken you, but you had a strange feeling, a feeling that you'd never had before. It was a feeling of love for this tiny being inside me and the instinct to protect it at all costs. Do you, uh, that particular paragraph resonates with me because as a teen mom myself, I, I certainly understand that. And do you think that teen parents or teen girls have that same feeling and that instinct to protect and love that tiny thing more or want that tiny thing more so than they actually want the male? Is it really the baby or is it the relationship? Or Have you even thought about that? Yeah, I did think about that a lot. And for the most part, I think, and I don't mean to generalize, but in my case, he didn't really want the baby. It was more of an inconvenience. And I cannot really tell you why when I was going up against my whole family, everyone thought I was crazy. All my friends thought I was crazy. The school 
that I went to thought I was crazy. Everyone was like, just, you know, why are you doing this? You're ruining your future. You're, you have this big future ahead of you. And now you're going to, you're going to ruin it by having this child. And, and just deep inside me, I felt like it was me choosing a different path than just going down the regular path. I felt like it would give me something to live for. I felt like it would give me some reason to, to, to continue to want to live. And I just, I just felt that I, I can't really explain it, except that I feel like it was God's hand in my life, getting me to take notice that there was a different path and that I didn't have to go down the normal path of going to college and possibly getting in more trouble. And then eventually getting out and working in the world, but it would have left my dad's company with no family members in it that wanted to take it over. So and I I was too young at that time to really grasp what my father had built and what being with McDonald's, that company had meant to the family and to all of us and that there would have been no legacy to take, you know, to keep that Mm -hmm. organization going. I didn't realize that till much later when it dawned on me that this was the purpose of me having that strong feeling and getting on a different path. It was a destiny, I think, that I was coming to fruition, that I had no idea what was going on. Wow, that's that's really amazing when you think back on it and the courage that it took to make that decision. I always tell the young mothers that we work with, it takes courage to determine that you're going to keep the baby because you are up against all of the perceptions and the um, family influence when you choose to, to do a different path. And this was three years before Roe v. Wade. So as a, as a woman now, you have this baby and you end up in your father's company and you're working on the floor at the lowest levels. Tell me what that experience was about. That was a really great experience for me, Alyssa. That was where I learned to form some true friendships and some true bonds. And the older ladies accepted me despite their race or gender. Everyone in the factory accepted me. They all befriended me. They began inviting me to their homes to to join the bowling leagues, to learn how to cook. They taught me how to take care of a, the house that my parents were fortunate enough to help me with. They helped me take care of the baby. They taught me so many things that I don't know how I would have learned otherwise because there was no one to help. My dad was... Of course, he's a lo- was a very wonderful dad. I just want to say that he had a problem, but we right. we dealt with it. But in terms of a dad who's providing for his family, that was his driving force. And he completely believed that you can hire babysitters to take care of kids. And he kept saying, the primary thing for you to do here is to learn how to work and how to come to Bama every day and let's see if you like it. Let's see if you're interested in doing it and we can find a babysitter. And by the way, dad, uh, there's a lot of things that you need to learn how to do when you're not at work. Mm -hmm. And these folks on the floor of Bama taught me just everything about life. And they taught me how you don't have to have a lot of money to be happy. Everyone's thrilled for 
having their job at Bama, and I began to realize how many families do we support? How many people do we help their kids get to college? How many people with our health insurance do we help stay mm-hmm. stay health, healthy and strong mm-hmm. and uh, provide assistance to? And over the years, I began to realize that the great responsibility that my dad had taken on to, to start this company and to employ all these people. But not only that, to take care of these great customers that we were that were gaining day by day. So I realized my responsibility was to not only to raise my daughter, but to also help run this business so that it didn't collapse. So we've had I've had a a wonderful uh, ability through my life, which I think is why I like the management system that we have to see how the work you do can help you at home and how the things you do at home can help you at work. So when I talk to people, I always talk about the things we teach at Bama are things you can use at home. The things that we teach the Covey and the Deming are things that if you learn will help you raise better kids. It'll help you have a better marriage. It'll help. So my philosophy has always been not to cut off people and not to cut off their care and their love of each other when they walk out the the door of the business, I encourage people to get together, be friends, have picnics, have get togethers outside of work. Because I feel like when you love and care for someone, you just automatically, you trust and you understand that they're always doing the right things. Mm -hmm. So that's why I spend a lot of time with my folks at, at the company Um, up until March, up until the COVID hit, I've been, in quarantine and away from, from everyone for a few months now. And hopefully that will subside later this year when we get a vaccine. Absolutely. Can you tell me what was the racial makeup of the floor at that time? And I asked that question because I think Roe v. Wade, I think it, the Vietnam War, I think equal rights, all of those things were were part of the conversations probably. What was the makeup and did you ever feel that you were part of any of the movements that were taking place, even in your small circle and understanding the influence that you and your family had at Bama? Oh, I remember as a real young kid, we spent a lot of time down at the at the plant. We that was our, our playground. That was where we went to, on Saturdays and Sundays, and while mom and dad were working, we were running around the plant and hiding in the warehouse and playing hide and seek around the sacks of flour and stuff, stuff you'd never allow anyone to do today. But we, you know, no one knew we were there and no one knew we could get hurt. And it was our parents letting us do it. So we were like, hey, this is great. I remember at nine years old, my brother got on a forklift and drove it around. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> But that we, I remember when we were in the factory one day, my dad pointing out that there were bathrooms for the quote unquote colored folk and there were bathrooms for us. And I remember him telling me, don't go down to that one because that belongs to that bathrooms for our Mm -hmm. our colored friends. And I remember thinking, God, that's weird. Why can't I just go to the bathroom with Willie or why can't I just go down there with, you know, Helen or uh, our tentry or, or those, my those folks who helped raise me. He, it's an interesting 
mix and blend. But one I one of the things I do remember is the day that my father brought in these dump trucks and they knocked a hole through the side of the building and for the purpose of pouring concrete into that bathroom that he had told me before was a colored bathroom. And I remember him bringing us down to the floor. And I remember everyone standing around and my dad made a speech and talked about how there was never going to be any more segregated bathrooms and that he was filling in. And I can't tell you what day that was or time mm-hmm. that was, but mm-hmm. it, I just remember it probably sometime during the sixties. And I remember him saying that this is the end of a, this is the end of some wrongdoing that like his parents went along with and my great grandparents went along with and some of my family history is uh, the Cherokee Indians. And I remember him talking about my grandmother and how she was discriminated against because she was Cherokee Indian. And she always hid that fact in her papers and never wanted that in any of her papers. So that bloodline is wiped from our, <clears throat> from our lineage, even though I've gone back and researched it and found it all. The point being that I remember the day that my dad ended the separate, the separate, the segregated. Mm -hmm. And I remember that day and I remember when everyone was there and I remember when everyone was hugging and it was the African-Americans. It was us. It was everybody together in a big circle. We were all hugging. It wasn't like there was anyone any different. And my father made a big deal out of that celebration. That's a fantastic story. I think people need to hear that. That's a small part and a real step in the direction uh, for you to have witnessed that, in the direction that's, that shaped your life. I, I hope that you're proud of that. Oh, I've, I am very much. In fact, I was just telling someone the other day about, I remember I had a flashback of that memory of you know, going one time that the bathrooms were separated and I loved my my folks so much. I, they were like caretakers to me when my parents were up in the offices or something. They'd leave us back there with everybody just to take care of us when we when they were making doing their work and making their pie fillings and making all their pie crusts and doing all that. I was we were just back there just hanging out. And it was never any separation, at least from us that my parents ever taught us. It was that that was the law as it was made to them, made to my father to have these segregated bathrooms. And so it had to have been sometime after the laws were passed to end that segregation. It had to be sometime after that because I do remember the dump truck and the cement and I remember that bathroom getting closed. I want to pivot a little bit to the section of the book where the you describe the guidance counselor laughing at your goal of going to school at Tulane based on what he viewed as your academic performance. And, and you say that you took that on and then self-sabotaged because there was no real expectation for your future at that point. However, when did you fully realize that the guidance counselor was wrong? Sometimes those things stick with you for a long time. And I think, again, I think as I look back, I think I real you're not wise enough, I think, or a person's not wise enough at the beginning of their life to really understand what's happening. 
And so you don't really step back and look at this as, okay, why do all these doors keep slamming in my face? Mm -hmm. I have the guidance counselor problem. Then I have the boyfriend situation. Then I'm dropping out of school. Then I have all these things and I don't even realize or I don't have the awareness to realize that God's putting me on a path. And that my path wasn't to go down that traditional route of going to college and then hoping I would come back. My dad hoping that he could save me and save my views from being tainted, if you will, from going to school and learning some different philosophy. He really did. When I was a young person, he decided he wanted to teach me his philosophy. And some people would say, that's Why would you want to learn anything from your parents? He wanted me to understand the importance of the family, the heritage, my grandmother, her mother, her mom and dad, the family. And he wanted me to understand how important it was to keep this pie company going. And it was more important to him than me going and getting a college degree. I mean, he never cared about any of these degrees that I got. He never Mm -hmm. cared. I I went to school at night, Alicia, because he was so... He was not interested in hearing any of my accomplishments with my grades or my classes or my, he and my mom very rarely even knew that I was getting ready to graduate with my bachelor's degree until I came to him and said, Hey, let's come, come to my, why don't you come to my graduation? And they were like, huh? Because they didn't really, I went to work every day. They didn't know I was studying and all that at night, much less when I went to grad school. I did it all as an online student, even back then, in the early Mm -hmm. 90s. OCU, where I graduated, offered online classes, and I took all my classes and went one weekend out of the month and was able to get on campus and take all my other classes. So it was not an easy commitment, and it went on for, I was in school for 10 years. At that time, they didn't even realize I was doing it. So none of those pieces of paper were ever really interesting to my parents. They didn't care that I had a bachelor. They didn't care that I had a master's or a PhD. They didn't care about any of that, but it mattered to me. And the reason why it mattered to me was that my dad was, had become ill and he was having heart problems. And there were a lot of issues that were going on with him and McDonald's at the time. And what I didn't realize was that he was, he, he was fearful that he would lose the company, that McDonald's would come in and take it away from him. So he kept trying to get me to understand the importance of making sure that I understood the business enough that if McDonald's ever came in, he could say, no, I have someone who's going to take over and mm-hmm. I don't need your help to, to, to see, you don't mm-hmm. need to sell the company to have a good general manager here. I've got my daughter, which again, created a whole nother set of issues That is another story for another time, I'm sure. (laughs) As I think about it, and even as I talk to the young people that I speak with, so many of them have no real idea of who they are or what they want to be. And there's not um, a Paul Marshall to hand them or to, to groom them to take over something as important as the family business. And so we send them off to college or we encourage college, but what they really need is what your experience at Bama would, I would consider that your gap years. It's not the traditional gap year where you go off to Europe and backpack 
around, but it's still a very vital year of learning. And so at James, that's what we try to provide is that one or two or sometimes even three years of just exploring different things. I thank you. I thank you for your transparency because everyone's path isn't going to be the same. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they need to have permission to stand up and say, that's not my path. And sometimes we as influencers don't make it easy for them to say no. I remember my mom wanted me to go to into computers because computers was the place to be and the place to go. And I hated math, but because she was my mom, I had this respect and also fear of saying that's not who I am. Also struggled in the areas that you needed to be successful in to go into computers. So giving young people the freedom to say, to make, to choose that other path is important. And I also, Alyssa, I got to work in a lot of different areas of the company. One of the things my dad was great at was just about the time I got comfortable doing something, he would come in and throw down the gauntlet and tell me I had to go do something else. And I would just get so frustrated and I would be like, and he'd hire your replacement and then I'm taking you to do something else. And I realized that I was on a path of his making, that I wasn't on a path of my making. But the biggest thing was I was on a path of God's making. Mm -hmm. I was on a path that eventually I was going to take over that company and it was unheard of at the time. When my parents, my dad sold all of his shares to me and gave me and my mom 51% control of the company back in 1996, 1995, something like that, he did the biggest favor for me that he would ever do for me. Or you could look at it if you don't love what you do and you don't have a passion for what you do, you could look at it as the biggest curse of your life. It's important, I think, to teach people of all ages how to look inside themselves, how to pray, how to meditate, how to seek out what's best for them and not be swayed by people around you or anyone else. That's part of growing up is learning how to make those decisions and choices for yourself mm-hmm. and and be positive that you're doing the right thing. You know, Have a passion about what you do and where you spend your time and what your life's going to be like. Have a passion for that. And so it was, it's been very important to me as I've tried to make, bring Bama down to another generation is to talk to all of my kids about their interest and their passion. And if they don't have a passion for the company, if they're not happy working, if they don't like what they do at Bama, there's always other places they can go. And besides that, they can choose if they want to be there or if they don't want to be there. And that was I think one of the problems that both of my brothers struggled with is my dad was so forceful with them about being at the company and they didn't love it. They didn't enjoy it. It wasn't their passion. And so while they were there, they were miserable and they ended up taking their misery out on other people. So it's got to come from you. It's got to come from your heart and your soul, your prayers and your understanding your own destiny when you know god brings you to life what is your mission on this planet what are you here for and i'm here i know very clearly i've known it for a long time at least 20 years i've been working 
running Bama so that I can help other people be successful. And that doesn't necessarily mean our team members only, but it means our customers. It means how we do business. It means our community. It means our civic mindedness and our community volunteerism and giving back. And we teach those things at Bama every single day to every team member. So now for me, it's all about giving back and seeing each other, seeing and helping each other grow. And that means not only monetarily, but spiritually, physically, mentally, and every single possible way. So that's how you live and you, you live your passion, you live your work, and then you can give back to others. That's the full of the model, the, the pyramid model about self-actualization, the hierarchy of needs. If you, if you don't know what that is, look it up. On the very bottom of the triangle, you're working just to have food, shelter, and, and safety. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. then you can grow. As you grow up the hierarchy of needs, you need less of yourself and more of giving yourself. As you go up the self-actualization pyramid, it's, at the end, it's all about giving. A- absolutely. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, so so please correct me, but it sounds like even if you had not become a mom when you did, you would still be doing what you're doing now. I think a lot of people get headstrong with their passion and with their life mission, and a lot of people don't succumb easily. And I think what happens is you end up very, just unfortunately, having a lot of problems and a lot of misery because this is, I believe, this is your destiny trying to force itself into your actual life. You'll wake up someday and you'll realize you've been fighting what your plan was all along. And usually that's when problems happen, when things get thrown down into our path and we have to get diverted. It's usually God trying to speak to us and tell us, I'm trying to tell you what to do here. And if you would do it, your life would be so much easier instantaneously. But because you keep fighting it, it's it's going to be difficult. And I'm going to make it difficult until you turn to the other way. And so you always have a choice, but the purpose of what you were sent here for is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So I really teach, I teach classes, we have Covey classes, we teach a lot of time management, and we also teach teach our company about writing a life mission. And those are things that we do every single day, and we promote every single day so people can get out of problems and, and start uh, getting on a better path. I so 100% agree with your philosophy, and it mirrors a lot of the things that we are trying to do at James and uh, we are trying to su- support and identify the uniqueness of every individual and then help them to find where they can use that uniqueness to the to the benefit of the world. You've elected to become a mom four times. Tell me what is special and what is different about each child. every single one of them is different that's for sure and I always say be careful who your genetic partner is because you're creating kids that are going to have genes made up of both of you and if you have uh, 
problems, you're most likely going to pass those down to your unsuspecting newborn kids. Uh, my daughters are all special. They all do different things. They all have special gifts. My youngest daughter is just getting ready to graduate from law school. And, and then there's my son. And when you have sons, you pray for daughters. When you have daughters, you pray for sons. Everybody wants one of each if they can get it. And there's really no reason for that. But I finally was able to have a son, and I was very grateful for that. And right out of the the gate, you could tell the differences. So the girls love to read. They like to sit down. They like to color and draw, and we played a lot of games. My son was giving me football pads when I'm two. I want to run around like those guys on TV and let me have my rollerblades and let me, you know, go outside with a hockey stick. And hit. he's been doing that since he was a year old. You could tell right away that he was very different. He was more active, didn't like to read, had to end up having all his books on audiobook because he was ADD. We we just had different different way of, of raising him rather than a traditional method. We put him through a Montessori school. Mm-hmm. So he, he had a different educational background because sitting in a chair all day for eight hours wasn't his thing. Mm. So you have to look at, like I said, you have to look at the child and you have to determine what, you don't make them bad or good. You don't make them different. You make everything acceptable and you teach them in the way that they need to hear the teaching. And that's what we tried to do with all the kids. That's a very good message. And I think young mothers need to hear that. You don't, you get to work with and groom the child, but you don't really change the child. The child is who he or she came as. <laughs> and we don't all get into to the traditional roles and precepts of society. So we have to have permission and know that we have the power to make decisions that are different from other person's decisions. Mm-hmm. Tell me if you were in a room full of young people who were just starting out as parents, who believed that they had just birthed the perfect Christ child and that child will be perfect throughout their entire lives. Tell me what you would tell them in order to assist them in parenting and in maintaining themselves as individuals. I I just believe you have to know each child and that takes time and it takes some attention. And I realized after I was a young mom and then when I was an even older mom, by the time my son was born, I was 37. I didn't really realize what I was missing because I was really out of balance when I was a younger mom. I was more work balanced and less home balanced and I didn't have a happy home life, so I, I probably made up a lot of things so I could stay at work, and I'm sure some of your folks know what that's like. Once I you know, got a little maturity on me, I realized that it was important to learn my kids and who they were and what they responded to in, in terms of none of my children ever responded to a, a whack on the bum. I stopped doing that when they were little because I realized... It didn't help me and it didn't help them. And I looked for other ways to 
put them in timeout or send them to their room or I never allowed any of my kids to have TVs, videos, computers. I never ha- allowed them to have anything like that in their rooms. So we had a central place where they could all go and, and share and have different times that they use the computer. But I just didn't allow all that. When we had issues, they had to go to their rooms. They had to spend time being grounded. They had to spend time away from their friends. And I always used to tell them all, I hate when you do stuff wrong because it grounds me too. I have to be grounded too, because you can't, you got to stay there to make sure they stay grounded, that they don't leave the house. And, and then when my son was in high school and was offered drugs like K2 and meth and smoking crack and all kinds of stuff in high school, um, at a private high school in here in Tulsa, I, I pulled him out of school and I hired a, a teacher and we homeschooled him for two years along with my nephew. Uh, they came to the house and my teacher came to the house every morning and she was here till three and I put a little classroom in a room off to the side of the den so I could see they were in there. And they they had classrooms. That's what they did. That's what we did every single day here was we had school. So this is to me, oh, now it's happening now. It's really something that I've been doing for a long time is I was more concerned about the people that they were interacting with and the choices that they were being forced to make when they were so young. It's awfully hard to go against the grain and know when someone's offering you something that you shouldn't take it. My kids were more susceptible to being popular and wanted to do those things when they came along. So I just said, okay, we're not going to go there because it's going to be way too hard for you to stay away from those people. So we'll just keep you locked up for a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) And it it wasn't like that. We had him on a sports team. We had him on some exercise outside playing tennis and they got breaks and things and they got to talk to their friends. But I was just very controlled about what I allowed them to do. Didn't That's how I managed as a parent because I felt like that was my duty and my obligation to them was not to let them get out there until they were able to make those choices, better choices. You know, that makes me think of our work in this COVID environment and how we're having to or working to prepare these young parents to make those kinds of decisions for their kids. I know right now, myself, we're starting school on August 13th with very little consideration for from the school district for what we believe is needed to keep our kids safe. Mm-hmm. So how do we, as mature adults and parents, navigate this experience and then also make that information available to young parents so that they can at least have as much information as necessary to make a, a sound decision. No, we aren't all going to be able to hire a teacher. Or Jesse and I were speaking earlier about trying to make sure that our kids are connected to mm-hmm. internet services and what the barriers are for that. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh-huh. And I I appreciate you for sharing your story, for uh, giving us some insight into your leadership style and just being transparent on who Paula is, the, the, who, who Paula is 
from the inside out, the God-given Paula. So I appreciate that. And I thank you for that. And we want to be respectful of your time. So Jesse, are there any, is there any question that you would like to ask before we let Paula go? No, you I mean you covered all the questions I had. So I just sat back here enjoying the fantastic conversation. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Paula, thank you so much. Thank you all so much for what you're yeah. doing again. It's really great to see it. Thank you all for listening to our interview with Paula Marshall. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. To find out more about James Inc., Please check out our show notes for a link to James Inc.'s website, as well as our Facebook page. And please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. And again, we want to thank Paula Marshall for taking time to talk with us. It was a fantastic conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. Stay safe out there. Don't forget, wear a mask. <laughs>